Welcome to The State of Mind, the podcast that brings together consciousness, meditation, psychology, psychedelics, and so much more in pursuit of this mystery we call life. This is Julian Royce. Hope you all enjoyed our new intro. Background music is the track Hummingbird from the artist Stephen Newman, who's also been featured on this podcast. A few quick announcements here. If you've been subscribed to this podcast in the past, you may need to resubscribe because I've recently changed our hosting service to anchor.fm. So thanks to them. And it was kind of amazing to see the news this weekend, I'm recording this July 26th where there is just massive protest in Portland and Seattle and Kentucky. So the, the protest movement has continued, and that is at least in part subject of today's conversation. I'm speaking for the second time with Edward Galan, and I'm really glad to have him back on the podcast. Um, I value his perspectives. He is uh, an African-American from the Dominican Republic who moved to the United States uh, when he was a child. And so he has some unique perspectives on things here, I think. And he's been really putting his voice out there more and more and expressing those. My first conversation with Edward, I believe episode number 50, uh, we had some real technical difficulties. And that resulted in parts of our conversation coming out like garbled computer speak. So I really do apologize for that. And I decided to publish that episode anyway because... It's really challenging to coordinate these and schedule them. And because I thought it was an important, timely conversation, and I felt that it was mostly quite listenable despite those computer garbled moments. Uh, in the future, generally speaking, I'm gonna not publish episodes unless the audio is a high quality. And luckily today, round two with Edward, we had no technical difficulties and the uh, audio came out quite well. There's also gonna be a video for this on YouTube. And in our conversation, we talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and these protests. And we talk about the lack of leadership and the failure in some of the messaging that has come out of them. We talk about the downsides of political correctness. Uh, we talk about some of the self-serving and alarmist rhetoric of the intellectual dark web, as well as you know some of our appreciation for the people who make that up. And Edward shares some observations about white progressive activists and some of the shadow dynamics he's observed at play in disavowing things like leadership and hierarchies. Uh, we talk about the importance of having dignity and self-respect. And I mentioned a wonderful book called The Meritocracy Trap by Daniel Merkowitz. He is a prestigious economist and professor at Yale University. And in this book, he demonstrates some of the downsides of our merit meritocratic system, you know, which we normally think of as a good thing. But um, it is a system which rewards hard work as well as luck. And the reality is it's creating a world of increasingly intense competition and elitist training that is often unnecessary and exclusionary. For example, the complexities of our legal codes and tax codes reward a high level of very specialized training, but having so many powerful and overpaid lawyers is driving our society to ever more litigation. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a waste of human and financial resources that could be better put to actually building a happier world. So that's just uh, one small example of many. 
Another example is the growth of hedge fund managers and other technocratic elites in the financial sector who create complex products such as the mortgage-backed securities, which led to the 2008 financial crisis and hurt millions of people around the globe. So I just wanted to give a short shout out to the meritocracy trap because it does come up in our conversation here. And I may do an upcoming episode delving more into this fascinating topic. And now, without further ado, I bring you Edward Galan. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Round two. Thanks, Julian. Uh, happy to be here, man. Yeah. And we said we weren't going to do a big introduction so people can listen to the first time you were on from a few weeks ago. I believe that was episode 50. <laughs> wow, you've done that many, man. That's I know. It's surprising. It's an accomplishment to you know stick with a project that long, man. So congratulations to you. That's, Thanks. That's- it feels good. It feels good to have done that many and like just to, it's like practicing the art of conversation. That's part of how I, I look at it. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is. And uh, I'm sure you've talked to some, you know, a lot of interesting people because of it and are making all sorts of connections. So it's yeah, exactly. A great thing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I think as many, you know, bad things we hear about all the time, I think podcasts are a really positive thing that a lot of people are listening to and more and more getting created all the time. Anyone can make one. It's pretty, Yeah, it's a good side of the technology we have, I would say. Absolutely. Um, so great. What's on your mind today? Uh, shoot. It's a lot <laughs> of things to talk about. Um, you know, before this, um, you sent me a video uh, or a podcast with uh, Sam Harris right. talking about, um, I guess he was talking about the sort of the dangers of this current moment. And, um, you know, particularly when it comes to the protests and the riots and the Black Lives Matter movement and how a lot of that can be used by someone like Trump in order to garner more support and um, yeah. even win this election. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, had a lot, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, maybe we could start there. Um, totally. Yeah, so, so first of all, um, I think it should be said that I, I really respect the people um, in the ideological dark web, um, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, hmm. Joe Rogan, Brett Weinstein, Weinstein, Eric Weinstein. Um, yeah. I can't really say I respect Ben Shapiro, but I res- <laughs> let's just say I, res- I respect people who um, who are yeah, just you know, speaking their mind, and I think. Sometimes, even though I don't agree with them totally, they're, I think they're bringing up valid points and they're bringing up um, 
Yeah, things that they're, they're enriching, I think, the, the discussion uh, flora and fauna out here. So Yeah, well, that's good. I appreciate that you're, you know, you appreciate them. And Sam Harris in particular has been a big influence on me. I don't by any means agree with everything he says, but um, it's a very powerful voice and he's super logical and rational. And I think sometimes yeah. that's a little bit of his downfall, but it's also his superpower. And so yeah. when he's discussing things like, you know, African-Americans and police brutality and some of these issues, like he's so logical about it. I think he misses some of the bigger symbolic impacts, some of the, you know, I mean, he's aware of the history, obviously, but he does, it's like he doesn't quite see the emotional level, the collective emotions are in it. Yeah, I agree. He has a lot of, you know, yeah, he has, I, I think, though, what I see with Sam is he is open and he does openly question himself. And he is open to continuing to dialogue about things. Um, I, I do get that sense from him of, of like being genuinely open. And uh, yeah, so so I think yeah, I have I respect that. I respect that even if I don't a hundred percent agree with them. Um, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's good to also recognize that at this point they have sort of built. Um, these guys have built an ecosystem and they have, they're profiting off mm -hmm. of um, certain messages. Right. I think you, you were saying that, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Right. I think what, so yeah, right before we started recording, I was starting to talk about that and it's like Sam Harris, Joe Rogan, a lot of these guys, um, I guess a lot of them are guys, <laughs> a lot of these people in the intellectual dark web and in the podcast world, are criticizing the social justice movement and how extreme it's gotten and how, political correctness and how you it takes away people's ability to really express what they actually think. And there's these like thought police or language police on Twitter. And there's so many examples of how ridiculous that gets. Like it deserves, some of that criticism is deserved. Um, like for example, there was a, a uh, what was it? A soccer player on the LA team. Did you hear about that? And his wife tweeted something like she tweeted something like all lives matter. I don't know what it was exactly. And, she, and he got fired from the soccer team for what his wife tweeted. So it's yeah. just like little things like that. Like maybe she was drunk. Maybe she wasn't. Who knows? I don't know what she I don't know what someone really thinks in their heart when they tweet three words, you know, or two words. All that. Yeah. Three words. <laughs> yeah. It's um. Yeah, I, I really disagree with that aspect of um, this whole thing of uh, trying to get people fired and stuff like that. And and mostly I disagree with it because um, it's a it's like a blunt tool, it's an inaccurate, imprecise weapon that can easily come back to mm. haunt the people that are using it now. Um, and I, I think uh, as we go get a go along further down this uh history timeline you, you'll see um well not history because history i guess is in the past the future timeline you're gonna see mm. that um yeah these things will be used against the radical left and um personally wow. I, I, yeah. i'm going to be i'm going to be amused i'm gonna be sad but i'm going to be amused by it because <laughs> fucking told you <laughs> That's a great um, point. That's, and I haven't thought about that enough, that if you use these weapons, you know, if one side uses a weapon, then the other side will eventually turn that weapon around. And Oh, yeah. Um, well, just to, just to finish my thought about the Sam Harris, Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson in particular, like they've gotten so famous, they actually make their living off of 
criticizing this far, you know, the far left, the extremists, all the political correctness have gone too far, but they don't ever, I never hear them like really recognize how it's benefiting them personally in this yeah, weird way. Right. And that's, that's like a hole I see in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the most egregious example uh, in that group, well, besides somebody like, well, let's say like Jordan Peterson to me was like really bad at this because like he, he would, on one video, you talk about balance and this or that, but I, I really didn't hear balance from him at all. I feel like he was way, um, he knew who his base was and he knew yeah. not to anger them and not to talk to them in a certain way. And he reserved all of his vitriol and all of his uh, emotional uh, energy um, towards, you know, the radical left and, um, and yeah, and I, and I just saw that as really um, disingenuous. You know, you can be yeah. disingenuous by not only what you say, right, telling lies, but also what you admit. And a lot of that's mm. a lot of what's happening right now is a lot of people, you know, they'll talk about oh, the rioting, this or that. But like, are you talking enough about, you know, how screwed up uh, policing is in the United States? Right. And, and there, I don't see a balance with a lot of people, you know? Yeah. Um, for me, I try, whenever, whatever space I'm in, I try to be that balance. So if I'm talking to a bunch mm. of people who are kind of going uh, overboard on the, you know, the radical left is a problem, then you'll probably hear me kind of taking the other side. Um, and the same thing with most of my friends, like, you know, I... Um, I engage my a lot of my friends on Facebook, and most of them are radical leftists. And so I'm not engaging with them from the point of view of like, I mean, I do post articles and things like that that are more aligned with my feelings and views about police brutality and all that. But I try to engage with them more from the point of view of like, well, somebody who is maybe on the fence, somebody who's questioning these things, what would they say? What do you, how do you defend this thing mm. that I think is problematic? That's um, my approach, and I, I've caught, I've gotten major shit for it. Um, Interesting. I, I recently <laughs> got accused of uh, of aiding and supporting white supremacists. Uh, oh, really? Wait, wait. I want to hear that story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, shoot. I, I, I don't even. Honestly, I don't even want to. I don't even want to get into it, man. It's just. Uh. It's so lame. It's so lame. It's just people. Is this on uh, Facebook or something? Yeah, on Facebook. I think people just get really emotional at times. They maybe re misread something. And um, unfortunately, like once a person kind of like has it against you, once they start seeing you as like an enemy, um, it's very easy for them to just continue to misinterpret everything that you say. And before you know it, you've just broken that relationship. Right. Um, Was it, is this and, people that you knew personally or just people you knew online? Right. People I met online. People I okay. Because I think that makes a big difference. It does. It does. And and another thing that makes a difference is um, whether you keep it all through uh, written word, like writing texts and, and messages, or if you have a phone call. Um, I find that people are much more agreeable when they when they're able to hear your voice and they can hear that mm. you know you don't. Um, when you say, you know, how you, when you express yourself, how you express yourself, you're not trying to be a dick. Um, 
Right. That's another great point. Like just reading the text message or the post online without any emotion, without any the context, without the, it's like a personal connection. I mean, there's, yeah. and I think this study has been kind of debunked, but there was this psychological study in the 1960s that 90, I think the study claimed 98% or something of communication is nonverbal. And that 98%, maybe that's an exaggeration, but it's something like, you know, a huge amount of our communication actually does happen on the nonverbal level. And uh, I think that's part of why, to go back to podcasting, I think that's part of what the popularity here is. Like, we're talking to each other. There's a back and forth. You can hear the inflections in our voice. It makes a big difference. It does. It really does. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, for, for all your viewers, I would say if you're having issues with somebody in your world, um, I would encourage you to try to have your interaction, interactions with that person. Um, be over the phone or video chat or in person if possible um yeah and try try to just limit the text and you know yeah just the texting it's going to the more contentious the conversation and the topic the more room for misinterpretation there's going to be right well um and i mean you as you know, a black person, like to be called aiding white supremacy, that's got to carry that much more of a kick to it, or maybe not, maybe not for you. I don't know, but it's, I mean, to be honest, it's so ridiculous. I, 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 mean, I have a hard time. I have a hard time even being offended by it. To, to be honest, it's just like okay. somebody called me like a Martian or something. It's like, that's a good attitude. So, yeah. You just see through it. You don't take it too seriously. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is that, this is an example of kind of online bullying or, or being called something online because they didn't like what you were saying. They didn't like whatever idea you were expressing. Yeah. I mean, how, is that like, how do you understand this? Like to, because what, what that's the perfect example of this dynamic where people are so quick to jump, to use a word like racist or white supremacist. They miss the vast, there's, there's so much gray area. There's so much gradation. There's so many different viewpoints and to slap those labels on my, my big fear one of my big fears with the social media dynamics and our political discourse right now is that these words are going to lose all meaning. And then real yeah. white supremacist, real Nazis, real racist are, are, are going to be indistinguishable from someone who's just a little bit conservative. And that's a disaster. Yeah, that's, that's a concern for me too. It's, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I don't know what to say other than that. It's a concern, man. These people, they're, they're overusing these words way too much. Way, way, yeah. way too much, you know? Um, you have to... The way, it's a way of controlling... Yeah, like a way of controlling people, shutting people down. I mean, I haven't been called that publicly online. I mean, I'm thankful for that, but I guess I should kind of prepare myself, like putting out a podcast like this, it kind of opens up that door and maybe someone won't like something I say and they'll throw that at me. And it's hard. That's really hard to hear because that's not what I believe in. It's not how I want to be seen. Yeah. So, yeah. I think, I think white folks um, in particular, you know, need to, I think people in general need to, need to know where they're at, you know, and, and be confident in, in where their heart is at. And, you know, if, you know you're not something can't really let you know can't let those words affect you and you can't um let the fear of being called stuff um stop you from 
expressing your opinion um and you can be humble about it i think that that's the 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 big um thing i would say that and often how why white folks get in trouble with a lot of these conversations is that there isn't enough humility there isn't enough of a mm. just coming at the at a conversation with from a place of like well look like this is what i know i don't i don't pretend to know everything because this is not my experience mm. but uh this is my like little humble opinion i feel like unfortunately some people just come at topics like way too authoritatively and like they they come off as know-it-alls um they take up take up too much space um mm. meaning they you know they just want to hear themselves talk and they don't they're not trying to make space to also listen what the other person has to say i i, I find those are often if i had to like point out to pro- common problems among people black white folks in dialogue i would say those are some of the more common ones um yeah but, no i really appreciate i really appreciate that message i think it's it's powerful to hear that from you in particular to not and to not be afraid i think what we like having honest real dialogue is so important and if you're holding back or trying to say the right thing all the time you're not being authentic and you don't you don't get a chance to really connect on a deeper level yeah yeah you you're not um you know it, and and this is the thing that um a lot of a lot of my friends who are into social justice work and are white they tend to be very agreeable people mm uh they they tend to be people very low um when it comes to social dominance um do you know what that you know what that have you heard of like social yeah that's oh, so interesting that you're naming that i mean i've observed that but I've, i don't know if i've ever talked about it in those words but like like that when are you kind of referring to like when we're in a group of people we kind of organize ourselves some people talk more or are bigger and some people kind of hold back or there's kind yeah, of a dominant so, voice yeah yeah social dominance uh orientation refers to how 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 comfortable a person is with hierarchy essentially mm. and how likely they are to sort of categorize people who they encounter and put them in some sort of hierarchy and then and how likely they are also to believe that let's say people higher on the hierarchy deserve to be treated better than people lower on the hierarchy mm. um so shouldn't come as a surprise there's a correlation between being conservative especially the type of people that would support Donald Trump um who tend to be more kind of towards authoritarian i would say mm-hmm. um there's a correlation between you know social dominance orientation being high and also uh conservatism right interesting right and, and the inverse for um for being liberal Right. Um, yeah, and it's there's a lot of, there's different ways you can talk about it. Like I've heard I th- what I think is pretty much the same thing you're saying talked about by Ken Wilber, he's a philosopher and integral theorist. Yeah. And he talks about the we don't have to get into it too much here but like that the green meme that like people are like there's the spiral dynamics of like levels of development and when people are on the green level which is a which is a high level um of of development and moral development and political development but you're very agreeable and you don't you hate hierarchy 
So you try to make everyone equal. Um, the problem with it is it's very hard to get anything done if you have a group of people yeah. where no one, no one's taking leadership. Yeah, that's one problem. That's um, one problem. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, just being um, not. I think that there's a problem on both ends of the of the whole um, acknowledging that I think Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this, like the um, competency hierarchy and how for the most part, most people that make it up to on the top of the hierarchy have displayed some level of competency, meaning like to some degree, the world is sort of meritocratic. I think that you can make a case for that as well as making a case for meritocracy kind of not being meritocratic at all um, (laughs) and just there being corruption and kind of a rigged system. Totally. Yeah, Um, they're they're both. There's truth to both. uh, There really is. And if you, I think if you lean too hard on either one, of those ends, you're in trouble. You're gonna come yeah. to a lot of bad conclusions. Yeah, I had. I think that's a fascinating question. Too. <laughs> I had a friend who said that people who have put a lot of effort into their life and into what they're doing and had some success are more likely to, you know, then you feel like you've earned it. And they then the shadow side of that is like looking down on people or seeing other people as lazy who haven't had the same success as you've had. It can become really. Yeah. It can be. It can become a very negative internal attitude where you have aggression towards yourself to try to always make yourself better than how you are. Yeah, then you look down yeah. on other people, and it's very competitive and very individualistic. And yeah. I think that really needs to be uh, find a balance with that, with compassion, with caring about others. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think um, that's a really important dynamic to talk about. Um, unfortunately, I think the people who a lot of people who make it, one, are, don't acknowledge all of the privileges that often went into helping them make it, all the support that they had, um, starting from childbirth on, you know? Um, mm. And I think that they don't, they're not really in tune with how bad some people really have it. Um, you know, like, start, you know, because all of this starts like in the womb, man, in, mm. in the womb, you know, like literally coming from like, if you come from a, it could be a somewhat dysfunctional home, but if you have both of your parents and you have stability there, you, you're not worried about food. Uh, your parents actually like worry about your education and, and um, can help you are educated themselves, <clears throat> can help you with your homework. Mm-hmm. Um, if your parents like are able to, you know, buy actually own their home, live out, you know, in a quiet area away from pollution, away from a lot of noise. I mean, so many, so many things kind of like that compounds over time. And those privileges allow, give people the safety and the space to then have their higher order, uh, higher level functioning happens 
only when you are in a safe environment and you have your basic needs met. That's a huge, huge, huge part of privilege. If you, um, if you don't, if you're, if you're worried about money constantly, and if you have um, just worried about your safety and your neighborhood and things like that, those type of things um, almost like keep you in your, um, I don't even know, I don't know that, I, I don't want to, like the part of your brain that is like right. the fire flight, you know, the, the reptile right. or mammalian brain. Yeah, the amygdala and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great and, point. And yeah, you know, it, it's, it really, it's really that, I think it's really that simple. Um, I've, it's, I experienced it myself actually uh, recently. I had um, been telling this story because it was so profound to me, right? Mm. Um, I had an experience where I looked at my bank accounts and I saw like, oh, wow, like there's actually like, this is like a, a good amount of money saved up. And hmm. I just was overcome with a feeling of like, I made it. I made it to a, a, a level of security that I haven't experienced in like years, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, and it immediately, I, I swear to God, like the next thought was, I'm going to invest some of, my, some of this money. <laughs> nice. And... That is, um, and that, I mean, that sounds obvious, but like that is evidence that I needed that security because I've been thinking about investing for a long time, actually, but it, I wasn't, I didn't feel secure enough mm. in what I had to actually do it. And in this case, I felt, I saw my bank account. I felt hmm. this is okay. This is like some, a good amount of money. I can now feel safe enough to start thinking about my future and having a future orientation as opposed to like just survival. And to me, that was profound. Uh, yeah, that's a powerful, who, powerful story. I haven't grown, I, you know, someone who had, didn't grow up with a lot of financial support um yeah some an experience like that does make hmm. a, a difference yeah well it, it's a saying like it takes money to make money without that sense of trust you and security then you don't want to invest and if you don't invest then your money doesn't get bigger over time if you're able to do that exactly it really is um this this whole concept of meritocracy is very flawed and there's a great book i forget the guy's name but an economist came out with a book criticizing it but like, basically, I mean, part of what he was saying is like, we've just created this hyper competitive system. It does reward effort. Um, so you, you basically need privilege. You need the right schools, the right training, the right education, all the support, all the stuff you just talked about. And then you need to work really hard and then you will most likely will be successful. But it's created a, a tremendous amount of stress and uncertainty and like this constant struggle for survival. That's really more than we need. We don't really... We have we have so many resources and technology now. People people used to imagine the future and like robots would be doing all our work for us. And the reality is, we're working more now than we were a hundred years ago. It's 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 almost it's it's insane. I think so. Really, it said um, we're working more now than a hundred years ago. 
I forget the the numbers exactly, but like the average person, you know, like, especially if you look at like entrepreneurs and businessmen, like they're putting in 60, 70 hours a week. That's true. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. 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 It's, it's a really unhealthy balance. I mean, and, and that's the thing, you know, like that, that is part, cause I, I bet you a lot of these CEOs and hyper successful people, um, I don't know. Do you listen to Gary V? Uh, okay. He's like, um, entrepreneur and motivational speaker hmm. and you know the, his whole thing is like having a hustle mentality and you work 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 hmm. work you know work 80 hour weeks or whatever uh, <laughs> while you're uh, while you're young so that you can retire early and like it's all, that whole mentality and like i don't think everybody's like really built like that you know other people mm-hmm. really um prioritize their quality of life and and just not willing to go there i think that we should respect that um i mean really the best the best that we can do the best that i've seen that you you know uh organized society can do is just to ensure people have the basics and from there you're still going to have the meritocracy you're still going to have people some people being a lot more successful than others but you're not going to, I think, experience as much of the extremes that we right. see in the country. And I think that's that's really when you when you start to see the extremes is when you kind of okay that 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 society is in trouble. You know. Um, yeah, I like that. I think so. The I just looked up the book that I'm referring to. It's called The Meritocracy Trap. I'll, I'll put a link to it by Daniel Markovitz. Um, I like I like what you're suggesting that we can create a society where the extremes are lessened. At the bottom end of the extreme, we have basic things like healthcare, basic education, basic food, basic housing for people. And then at the upper end, we have a tax system that, you know, you can earn, you know, you can earn a lot of money, you can work hard and get more money than other people, but it's not such an extreme inequality in wealth where just because you came out on top of Amazon, you get to have, you know, more money than, you know, whatever it is, $100 billion. I mean, when we look at a lot of these really rich people, like, like Jeff Bezos with Amazon, he created a, a platform for other people to sell stuff on. So he's like taking a tax off of what other people are doing now. And the internet is structured in such a way where these systems would have developed anyway, like we would have had a Facebook, we would have had an, you know, marketplace and and he's able to come out on top right now, but it's, it's, I don't, it, it, there's no logic behind saying he deserves the level of success, him personally, you know, versus right, all right. the other people in the world. Yeah, he deserves some credit for sure, but, but there's a tremendous amount of luck there for sure. Luck and yeah, he's, he's using, you know, he's profiting off of disproportionately from other people's labor. And that's kind of, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of systems under capitalism or are kind of like that uh, under any system really like humans are that's the thing I'm, I'm not a big pusher of socialism or communism really what we have to work on i think is more is on ourselves is on um becoming better more moral humans i think mm, yeah um, like i think that a movement that would um, excite me and make me say, okay, let's, I support this would be 
some kind of movement that centralizes sort of like human development, like the, the development mm. of, the, of the person um, into being just more compassionate, more understanding, all those functions that come in the, that, you know, um, manifest in the prefrontal cortex, like developing those, you know? Absolutely, uh, yeah. That, that interests me, you know, but you can get into the, the kind of the ugly side of human nature with pretty much any of these other, any of these political systems that sort of are more central about like economics is more central, not so much morality and, um, and values. I really feel like we could solve so much if we just incentivize care and compassion uh, in the economy. Like literally almost all of our problems would, would we would maybe have different new problems, but we would solve a lot of the problems that we have now. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe changing the topic over to, um, for instance, defunding the police, which I think so, a lot of people are well-intentioned, right? In saying, yeah, like we want to like take away funds from the police and um, we want to give those same funds to, uh, to social workers, to mm. medical staff, to after school mm -hmm. programs, et cetera, et cetera. That is um, a really, I think, I, I think actually I, I support that for the most part. Um, however, um, yeah, I think part of, part of the reason that people are having a problem with the whole defund the police movement and the people who just want to abolish police, which mm. is an idea I don't agree with, um, <laughs> is because... I think people sense that this is sort of coming from like a punitive place. This is like the same, it's the same kind of sentiment as like when Trump is like, yeah, like California, the governor's not doing what I want. So I think we're just going to take away funds from the whole state of California. It's mm. coming from this like punitive place of like, you're, you're not doing what I want. So therefore I'm going to hurt you. And I think they're, I think they're right to sense that like it is coming from a punitive place. And mm. I don't think most people are even tuned into that. They're, they're not even thinking about that. They're, they're just thinking about the rightness or wrongness of their opinion. And they're not thinking about the intentionality behind it and the impacts. Like if I like, you know, if I tell a child, you know, go to your room, you know, um, and I say it just like that, that's very different than like, I say, you know, calmly say like, Hey, listen, I want you to go to your room. You need to, you need to think about what you just did mm -hmm. like that. Um, like it, it, there, there's like energetic differences to how we approach this that I think make all the difference really. And um, and unfortunately, a lot of people will, are going to listen to this and say, oh, that's respectability politics. So, so you're saying that we, we're going to solve everything by being uh, nicer. And I mean, to some extent, yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm saying that if you, you said respectability politics, what is respectability that? Respectability politics. It, it's basically um, the politics of essentially sit, telling people be nicer, dress better okay. um, in order 
to be respectable and then not like be messed with by the cops or not be discriminated as much against. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think there's truth to it. Um, hmm. You can hate on it all you want. I think people, you know, <laughs> I think if you do kind of behave in a certain way, you do avoid a lot of problems. Um, but yeah, it's hmm. not, it's not the whole solution. Um, right. So, I, so yeah, I agree. Yeah. But, but I lost my train of thought, but like, I think that, Basically, we need to treat like treating each other well, especially when what you're asking is to be treated well, mm. is pretty important. Like, yeah, like I can't just like if if what I want you to do is respect me as a individual, treat me as an individual, and um, give me the same rights as anybody else. But then I have this ideology of like all white people are racist and all white people, you know, like, um, like I'm not treating you as an individual, but I'm demanding mm. that I'm treated as an individual. Does that, does that make sense? There's mm. like a yeah, that's a good point. There yeah. It's constantly showing itself in these social justice movements. People are yeah. like contradicting themselves all the time in what they're asking for, but like, what are you, what are you showing? And the energy that you give out is, what people are often going to reciprocate. Um, mm. Some people are going to be understanding. Again, some, some, some white people and some people in general are just more agreeable. And an agreeable person mm. will, even if you come at them in a, in a, in a mean way, they're going to try to find the good in you. They're going to right. want to, you know, they're going to look past the insult that you just hurled at them mm -hmm. um and sometimes yeah you you do need that that's and that's a great quality to have but i don't think that the opposite is being disagreeable is actually that bad of a quality sometimes because disagreeable people are very tuned into the reality of intentionality and they're very tuned into when somebody is not treating them with respect. Somebody's not treating them with dignity and right. they're going to let you know, and they're going to get angry and they're going to show an emotional response. And that's important because that's actually how people keep their dignity is by being disagreeable. That's why mm. we we're encouraging these fucking protests to happen. Right. Right. We want people to be disagreeable in the face of indignities. Right. Um, and so <laughs> that's going back to what I was saying earlier. I think white people, if you are in a conversation and you start to feel like you're not being treated fairly, um, like it's okay to say, I don't agree with this. I don't like how I'm being treated. Right. And that you are treated uh, well. Because and that's actually, that's actually respecting the other person more too, because you're, it's a kind of false kindness to let someone else disrespect you or do something unethical or illegal or whatever it is because you're you're enabling behavior that's eventually going to hurt them and hurt other people and you know it's just it's not really that's not really a, a a compassionate act either so i totally agree with what you're saying i think it's super important i think you just named a lot of really important points um and the some of the some of the contradictions or hypocrisies and some of the social justice stuff 
where it's, I think you just said it really well. Like you want, we want to look at everyone as individuals and yet we're making claims like all white people are racist. And then if you disagree with that, then you're just proof. That's just proof of how racist you are. Right. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, that's not an, that's not a conversation. That's a, a label that's being slapped on you. And it's pretty much, pretty much. What do Um, you think about this idea of white fragility? White fragility. Um, all right, so for, first I'll, I'll give it, first I'm gonna prop it up and, and give, give it some uh, credibility. I think that, I think if you do grow up with privilege, then even like the slightest indignity and lack of privilege can seem like a big deal. And um, I think some people really do get used to getting their way all the time. And, um, and they're nice because they get their way most of the time. And as soon as they don't get their way, then you see just how fragile and mean they can be. Mm. Um, yeah. There's another um, another term that's often used, which is uh, white tears. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that that one also is. Uh, I'll also say something to give it some credence. First, mm. uh, I've definitely seen people. I mean, we we see we saw that video right before the George Floyd thing. That woman who called the cops on the bird watching on the black man bird watching. Oh yeah. Right. And crying and saying, Oh my God, Bro, yeah. <laughs> black man here. Um, yeah. Well, so just, why- just a quick, a quick side note. And I, yeah, I like what you're saying, but like that guy, that man who she called the police on, interestingly enough, from what I read, like he didn't want her to be arrested for that. Remember that? Like, yeah, yeah. He's, he, that was, uh, it, recent. Uh-huh. I just, I imagine he would agree with a lot of what you're expressing here. I, mean, I could be wrong about that, but it yeah, seemed like he, he was saying like, not to, like when you, at the beginning of our conversation, you said, don't fight, like you're against people just getting fired because it's this blunt instrument. I think he said something kind of in that vein. Um, okay. I didn't listen. I haven't heard him speak really um, on the issue. But well, he refused, the, he refused to cooperate with the investigation um, for one, one reason or another. <laughs> he, he's actually maybe more generous than I would have been, to be honest, because uh, <laughs> I thought that was a really really egregious uh thing that she did yeah absolutely Uh, well but the the fact that it became so famous and that like we're talking about now is to me a sign of progress like we generally speaking everyone was like oh that's fucked up this person is in the wrong she shouldn't have called the police so absolutely yeah yeah so so i mean that so that what that woman did is an example of uh white tears right absolutely okay Uh, um you know uh, white particularly white women expressing distress and uh and saying you know making false claims and things like that has taken the lives of a lot of people um so yeah it's a serious yeah. thing it's a, it's actually a big deal i appreciate you yeah. saying that yeah so all right so now let me say why things i don't like about white fragility um I think you never 
often what what I kind of hear with the whole white fertility thing is like basically like it's used against anytime a white person basically like says yeah I don't I don't like this I don't want to I don't agree with this or stuff like that it's used as sort of again like a blunt weapon to mm. kind of say yeah like you're basically like not willing to listen or you're not willing to conform to what we say so therefore you're just fragile mm. and you're privileged and you know so it's a way to um to not take people serious and mm -hmm. to and to almost make like their emotional responses uh, evidence that they are fragile instead of like that they're feeling and that, that they, yeah, that, that they're actually like feel strongly and passionately about something, which I think is valid. Um, the whole white yeah. fears thing I've seen used, I mean, I've seen really bad examples of the white tears thing used against white people, for instance, like, uh, like basically I, I've seen conversations that are hard, really hard and contentious. Mm. And a white person, usually a white woman is like, really, they're not used to maybe having conversations that are this intense. They're not used to kind of just being on defensive like this and they, they get emotional. They get, you know, they're crying and they're getting emotional. And some people are just emotional, man. Mm. And then I've had people kind of see that and view that as like a negative thing. Like the fact that they're getting emotional is an example of how fragile they are and how, um, and and maybe even seen as manipulative, like they're trying to def uh, take away, take attention away from maybe the tough issue that was being talked about, and put attention on feeling sorry for them. And that's not to say, I mean, that dynamic could be happening. That could be happening. Mm. Um, but to automatically like go there. Um, and again, I, like I've seen examples of this being used and it's, it's terrible, man. You don't, um, yeah, like yeah. you want people, I mean, people are going to get emotional and that's, that's good thing. That's, be that's beautiful sometimes. Like right. You don't want to, you don't want to shame someone if, for their feelings. And it's kind of yeah. like the dynamic you're describing just makes me think like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, no matter what you do or don't do, it's it's wrong. It's more proof of your racism or privilege. And that kind of attitude, I think, isn't helpful. Like shaming people, making people feel guilty. Maybe the, if there's a reason for that, okay. But like generally speaking, those aren't, that's not part of like a real genuine healing process of like understanding each other, seeing each other as fellow humans and like really seeing where you're coming from. And I don't know. It'd be interesting to be in a group like that. And if someone starts crying and someone else says white tears and then you like pause and like really explore like are you crying for attention and like listen to them and see you know because i think people can tell what's true and not true if you if you give it a chance yeah and 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 it wasn't i've it has it's never been like something that somebody 
said like at that moment like somebody's crying and they're like oh those are white tears like i haven't seen it i'm sure that's happened but i i didn't witness that but it's something that people would like maybe comment afterwards and say like oh like you know <laughs> like i didn't i really i didn't like how so and so was like crying and making it all about her like mm. i'm like well why you know they had an emotional response like and they were crying like they were up they were you know if i when i get really angry like if I get angry enough, I'm I'm like literally at the point of tears. Um, mm. You know, when I feel things that really powerful in a really powerful way, like yeah, I, you know, you you cry, um, and uh, and that shouldn't be automatically be seen as yeah, like a, somebody trying to manipulate you or make it about them. They're just having their emotional experience. Like right, I don't know. Um, yeah, totally. There's a lot, there's a lot there. So it's not, it's something that, you know, you have to sort of analyze and look at case by case. Yeah. It's really uh, interesting to me to think about like that there's this connection or parallel between some of the social justice stuff, maybe the more extreme stuff um, and kind of Christian religion where like the idea of original sin, you know, like the, like we, if you tell everyone, like if you're white, you're racist and nothing you can do or say can get rid of this unconscious bias you carry. I mean, that's like, that's basically the message as I understand it of the book, White Fragility. Um, it kind of leaves you in this hopeless place. And it kind of, it's also disempowering where like, you don't know your own mind, you know, like if you don't, like someone else is telling you what's true for you. And I think that there, I think there can be some truth to unconscious bias. I'm not totally dismissing that i think there's some truth to all these concepts or a lot of them but if we want to create if we want to create a better society is it really worth our time and energy to try to exercise these unseen demons that no one is saying or acting on versus like actual acts of racism that we can document and then address yeah yeah there's things I, i was actually kind of you know the similar discussion yesterday but it was concerning conspiracy theories and there's, I think that there's things that are true um, that are sort of like not worth pursuing mm. <laughs> um, and not worth like thinking mm. too much about because there's more real and let's just say more tangible things like right in front of you that you can obviously do something about that just to serve more of your attention than, I don't know, some like satanic um, ring of pedophiles that's abducting children and like sucking the adrenal. Right, I've heard that one too. And it may or, may or may not be true or some, yeah, it's just yeah, it's, a rabbit it's hole. Fucking, it's pointless. It's pointless to <laughs> focus so much energy mind energy on yeah. something like that when you have real injustice that you can do something about right in front of you like deal with that first it's a way of sort of it's almost like bypassing in, yeah in a way um yeah and I, and I think that it's i mean I, yeah i feel similarly about this whole thing of like why like okay maybe all everybody maybe everybody has like impl- implicit bias and racist attitudes 
why why even focus if everybody has it it's not really hmm. i don't know it's just like not doesn't merit that much to to be talking about it in in this way it's yeah. like well it's maybe maybe the way forward is to f- focus on it in a more constructive way like you know like i remember when i was learning how to drive a car and one of the things i got taught was like don't look where you don't want to go like if you start staring at a wall there's a good chance you'll drive into the wall so like look look on the road where you want to drive to and i think that applies to this like as a society we want to move to a post racist world a world where racism is very rare where it doesn't exist that much where it's not in the government it's not in the police yeah. How can we imagine that and move towards that rather than obsess over yeah, that's a great all the point. little things? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, great. you know, something you said earlier when we were talking made me think of this. It's a it's a strategy, something I use pretty often. Um, so I'll cross, you know, I'm often crossing the street. I'm on my bike or walking, mm-hmm. and I have a habit of whoever it is. It, if they stop for me, I don't really look at them. I sort of look in their direction. I may kind of make sure that they're looking at me as well. And I just sort of like wave and say, oh, thanks for letting me pass by. I don't look too hard. And I do mm. that for a reason. I don't, I'm only concerned with the fact that they let me go by. I'm not, I'm sure that if I actually looked at some people I would actually see a lot of people who are upset. They're like, oh, this, this dude just like crossed the street without, you know, whatever. And they like stopped for me, but they're like actually upset at me. They could be like flipping me off. And like, <laughs> they could even, you know, be mouthing something off. I don't even want to see it. Yeah, that's a good know, attitude. This, yeah. This is not always, I'm sure this <laughs> is not always the best attitude to have towards everything. But generally, I'm like, they're, I can't think of many good interactions, many good things that are ha- going to happen from me knowing that somebody was flipping me off or saying something bad or just had a sc- having a scowl on their face. It's not going to help my day at all. All I care about is that they stopped and let me cross. Mm. That's I have my objective. I'm following my objective. And I think that's really close to what you're saying, you know? Yeah. Uh, focus on focus on what you need to do to get across the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to circle back to another thing you were talking about with that slogan of defund the police. Um, it's like when the protests started after George Floyd, like I went, I was inspired, um, I think, and I hope that real reform will happen. I think it is happening to some degree. But I, I've come to the conclusion that the slogan defund the police is a terrible slogan. Like it's just it's just the worst slogan that this protest, it, this is the biggest protest since the civil rights movement. And I feel like it was this amazing moment. And I know they're still going on in a few places like Portland, but for the most part, the protests have died down. It's an amazing yeah. moment of people showing up, coming together, standing up for something. And I feel like there was a lack of leadership and a lack of messaging. And I feel sad about that. Really, really, really sad what's happening in terms of uh messaging yeah um, the left is has has been for a long time now horrible horrible horror i can't say this enough horrible when it comes to messaging mm. and framing framing issues in the correct yep. way just pathetic <sighs> pathetic is uh, i can't <laughs> just bad 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 
And um, I mean, oh, man. I, I can't say enough bad things about this area. Like, it's just so yeah, it's so bad. It's almost like what to even say about it. I mean, to me, like we have Trump because the left is so bad in this country. Like, if it just it's just terrible. Like, Democratic Party is just I mean, terrible because the system, the system is so bad. Yeah, this... it has been bad for so long. Yeah, and the left, yeah, it's just hasn't been has been weak it's been weak it hasn't counteracted these forces how it should and a lot of it is because it's it's focusing on the wrong things but focusing on mm. how powerful would it have been if instead of making this about race if for instance they had made this just about police brutality which white people in this country also um are brutalized by police um, yeah. at a very high rate compared to most other, you know, first world countries. Like, yeah, I've really, heard some crazy it's, statistics it's a, about that. Yeah, it's a, it's really bad for everybody. It's really, really bad. The only group that is like, that's really not like harassed that much by police. It seems that are uh, Asians. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But other than that, man, it's a it's a nationwide problem, and I feel like this yeah. would yeah. have been just so much more powerful. But unfortunately, you know, and they people want to stick with the whole Black Lives Matters and All Lives Matters makes you a racist. Okay, I mean, you you know, they they, they pick this road. I think it's it's not the best road, but whatever. Um, I agree. I agree I, completely. It's it's sad to think about. Yeah, and the other one is, uh, what if people had made this about, kind of not just about police brutality, but about economic justice, especially yeah. at a time right now where, like, man, people are about to get uh, thrown out in the streets. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay their mortgage. And the economy is so bad. This president is handling this so awfully. And this totally could have been made into a huge movement that centered. Maybe it could have been the center is still police brutality and, and, and you know, some of the systemic uh, racism things. But the sort of like the offshoots and the a lot of the movement and the actions were also centered around this economic problem that we're all facing right now. Yeah. So if this, if the, if people in the leadership and people had this like sort of um, this vision of what could be, these movements could be a lot more powerful. Um, Absolutely. But there, you well, know, it's a that's big, a great it's a point. Opportunity. And I don't think it's too late, you know, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to stoke up the uh, the fires uh, of people who do want to focus a little bit more on the economics because you saw, like, I mean, even people were, like, talking more seriously about giving people money, uh, reparations. People were talking yeah. more seriously about um, just universal basic income. People were talking more seriously about forgiving student debt. Those are the conversations that I think will bring more energy and more people to the table that will have a stake in, well, maybe not so much the reparations, but the other ones 
um, will bring a lot more stakeholders to the table. Um, yeah, like want. Right. Uh, um, so al along with supporting black people and 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 do and yeah, ma making it. I mean, again, I don't I don't disagree with saying Black Lives Matter. I, I totally get it and support it. Um, I just I just do think that. Like I said, there's it's just they, we are in this moment where so many people are suffering, and I do feel like often, and this might be controversial to say, mm. but I do feel often that in the in the in the social justice world and identity politics world, it's sort of like feel sorry for us, feel bad for us, but we don't feel nothing for you. We don't give a mm. shit about your feelings. We don't give a shit if you this or that. Mm. And when you give off that kind of energy, yeah, you a lot of people are not gonna care. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean yeah, you just said a whole lot again. I mean, it made me think about if this movement was about how we can come together as communities and improve our communities. How? Because like one good thing that I've heard talked about here is like, let's have more social workers, let's have more therapists go work with homeless people, for example, go work with drug addicts rather than a police officer with a gun who is overworked and underslept and is about to pull it out on someone or is just some asshole looking for an excuse to fight. Like, let's have different groups of trained people to respond to different needs. I think that's a great idea. But the slogan, defund the police, doesn't capture that. It doesn't communicate that. I wonder if part of what happened with this movement or is happening is, like, is this lack of leadership. Um, like, there's not a Black Lives Matter leader like we had MLK. And maybe we need more of that. We need a platform or we need... Um, yeah. But the other the other thing you said that I'll just throw in here at the towards the end is like I've gotten in some arguments with people about this all lives matter being racist and I have a problem with that because I think racism is wrong you know I don't agree with it I want to speak out against it and I think all lives matter is like a literally true statement it's something I actually believe in and so if you take something that's like a true statement and you make it a proof of your racism and I guess it can be used with different intentions and in different ways but it's just an example yeah. of like this language game that's really frustrating. Yeah, it's a whole language game. It's just, it's just stupid. It's I, honestly, I don't even. That's why I barely even engage with it, to be honest. Mm. Um, and it's, I mean, it's fun. Like during um, during Fourth of July, I posted a meme that said like all countries matter, you know, <laughs> uh, things like that. It is funny to. Uh, <laughs> kind of make fun of of right wing hypocrisy, right? There's a lot of because I don't, I don't. I, a lot of the people that do say all lives matters, they don't, they don't really mean it. They don't really understand right. yet why why people are saying Black Lives Matters. So, right. So I think yeah, but at the same time. To get into an argument and say uh, you're automatically racist if you even say it, and to try to fire people for for saying it, it's just it's just <laughs> dumb. It's just dumb. I I don't know. I just can't. I don't even engage with that stuff, man. Yeah. It's just. It's, um, One of the biggest, uh, just real quick. Facebook kind of shitstorms I ever saw was this guy who posted about all lives matter, but he made this long post 
about veganism and how we shouldn't be hurting all these animals and and people there was must have been 300 comments you know and people banning him and so angry and uh, so anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we're, so i think we're a long way from actually living all lives matter you know Right. That's a good point. Like, do you really believe that? Or is that what you really mean to say? What do you mean by that? It actually takes a long discussion to understand where someone's really coming from. It's not a three word slogan that tells you something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we're, we're radicalizing people unnecessarily to kind of be contrarians and to be kind of, hmm. yeah, just those people are, are really solidifying and taking sides and joining one camp or another because we're not treating each other with respect and, and uh, paying attention to nuance and uh, trying to really get into the intentionality of, of things. And it's just, it's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate mm. that it's getting, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your perspectives again. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this podcast. You know, I mean, just to end, I, I do feel somewhat optimistic about what's possible. You know, uh, I think I think we we can. You know, I'm seeing more and more people kind of making, uh, calling out not only you know the the me the messed up things on the right, but also some of the messed up things on the left, and mm. that's heartening. You know, I'm I'm glad that this is that more and more people are willing to have this discussion. So it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we're moving in a good direction overall, despite all the chaos and... Yeah, yeah. I disagree with Sam. I mean, I don't know. That podcast, Sam, he, he sounded like... He sound, yeah, he sounded a bit like an alarmist to me. Uh, yeah, uh, I would yeah, agree with that. I, I, I Apocalyptic. Get, I get <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. I, I I'm I'm concerned like he is. I just mm. anyways, that may we'll leave that for another discussion. Yeah. yeah. I guess time will tell. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you have found this podcast valuable, there are many ways in which you can support it. You can share it with friends and on your social media. You can leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. And you can visit our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash a state of mind. For show notes and more information unique to each episode, visit astateofmindplay.com. And to learn more about my work as a therapist, meditation teacher, and coach, visit julianocean.us. And please don't hesitate to send me a message or email and let me know what you think and contribute to our conversation. Thank you so much for your support. It is listeners like you that make all this so very much worthwhile.